Well, a couple of months back, not even, I caught a friend, I busted him, just caught him right in the act. He was having a conversation telling us, telling someone else about how he had been watching uh, Hallmark Christmas movies, just straight up. I mean, I mean, how do, how do I, how do I greet that? How do I overcome that with my, my, what I thought very manly friend? And, uh, you know, I mean, I told him, you know, the, the plot literally is the same in all these Hallmark Christmas movies. There's a young lady and she's beautiful and she's upwardly mobile yet deeply conflicted. Does she go with the city slicker guy or does she go with the homespun guy who's dressed in flannel, who has a folksy wisdom, who at the end of the movie ends up being like Santa Claus's nephew or something like that? Uh, you know, these, these movies all uh, end the same. And he's like, man, what, like you're confronting me as if it's sin watching this. And he wanted to know if I was going to throw a Bible verse at him. And I just said, I'm going to throw a Robert Palmer a lyric at you. You might as well face it. You're addicted to love. And uh, he, he was acting like he liked this because he liked her. And y'all know how that goes. We're in a series called Life Together. We're not talking about romantic love as much as just life together of the church being the church and us connecting at deeper levels. And we're, we're going to uh, title this. We'd love for you to turn to Romans chapter 12. That is where we'll be, Romans 12. And we're entitling this message, Love Should. And I've got six love shoulds from Romans chapter 12. Note takers, that's your cue. Love should, dot, dot, dot. And you'll get six of them in just a minute from Romans chapter 12. But in Life Together, week one, online only, on January 1st, we asked four questions. How do you find community? How do you build community? How do you deepen community? How do you preserve community? And in finding community, I told you the true story of me, a bit of vulnerability when I was a young man in early 20s. I lived in Tallahassee, Florida. I was in campus ministry at Florida State University. But at my church experience, I would, I would sit in the back, critique the message, and cut out early. And I found myself telling someone in that community of Tallahassee, I said, yeah, that church is kind of hard to connect to. And when, I, when those words left my mouth, I realized I was basically lying. And it just felt really uh, null and void. I felt empty and felt disingenuous because it was those things. And it was a time for me in my life to say, hey, let's connect through the local church uh, even though I'm in a, a new land with new people. And so it was opportunity for me to start taking the initiative. And that's what I did, what I'm encouraging you to do. I'm not asking any introverts to become extroverts, but I think it's an opportunity for you to say, hey, how can I say hello to someone today and not just duck out? Let me have one conversation per Sunday, maybe two conversations, maybe introduce myself to more people. How do you build community? Diedrich Bonhoeffer answering that question and how do you deepen community, kind of a combo. He, he talks about how we don't deepen community by sitting in a circle saying, let's go deeper. We actually deepen community by showing up for people when they're in a time of need. And so we look at uh, that, well, how do you preserve community? When you get Christian community, it feels good. It's blessing you. And so you want to do what? You want to preserve community. And it's paradoxical. It's countercultural. It doesn't seem to be a good advice. But when you want to preserve community, you know, because you don't want to upset the equilibrium or mess up the chemistry of the group, that's actually when you should be inviting someone in because church matters so much more. It means more to all of us if we're seeing it through the lens of someone new. And it gets stale and boring and stagnant if you're just with Christians uh, spouting out uh, cliches and such. And so how to build, how to find, build, deepen, and preserve community, we looked at. And then we looked at uh, drift happens. Hebrews 2, 1, pay careful attention to the teaching that you have heard unless you drift from it. And the answer to that is to live out these, uh, let us, let us, over and over, it says in Hebrews 14 times, gives us 15, uh, 14 specific let us statements. And then last week we isolated the words from Mark chapter three, verses 13 and following, where Jesus, it said he was on a mountaintop and he called the 12 to be 
with him. And we said, what does the be with life look like? And before he sent them out to cast out demons and preach the good news, uh, he said, be with me. And it's just so easy to do work for the Lord and uh, to wear yourself out. And we forget the power of being with Jesus and uh, us being with uh, others. We were blessed immensely by the testimony of Sterling and Catherine Rose Kidd as they told us about their battle with infertility, the awkwardness of showing up with our group around other couples having babies, the pain associated with that. But this group loved them and stayed with them and cried with them and embraced them. And now they've got this little gift that's a bundle of crying. And, um, and it, we just, they said, hey, it was a great compliment. Uh, I'll never forget it. They said, our group has helped us. They've taken us to the feet of Jesus. And there could be nothing better said about Christian fellowship, about uh, life together. There are bad ideas about life together. Here's a few. I was on a site earlier and saw these. Um, rule number one, hide your sadness. No one cares. That's not a good idea. Uh, rule number two, never depend on anyone. Uh, number nine, be private. Not everyone wants what's best for you. I left out several because they had cuss words in them. But uh, these are just three that I could show in church, but they all were sort of sub-biblical. They were all ideas that had a granule of truth in it. And if you've been hurt and relationships haven't been good for you, if you haven't found community, then some of these things seem like they would be wise, but they're really not. They work against us. So let's go. Let's go to the book, Romans 12. Uh, Romans 12, verses 9 through 13. If you have an open Bible, that'll be good. And then here it is on the screen. Let love be without hypocrisy. Detest evil. Cling to what is good. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Take the lead in honoring one another. Do not lack diligence in zeal. Be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. How hard is that? And share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. So the first of these six love shoulds is this. Love should be free from hypocrisy. A survey years ago, I don't know the scientific um, veracity of this but a survey was done years ago out in Colorado and said they found that the top few of uh, fakest places the most phony places uh, number one uh, the lobby of a fancy hotel number two next to a salesperson at a new car showroom number three wait for it the church and I wonder if that's been your experience I wonder if you felt it and seen it and walked away from it. I wonder if it has turned you off, if you've recoiled at the phony nature of religious people. I wonder if you've been a part of it and you've contributed to it. Let love be without hypocrisy. In the early 2000s, Toby Keith had a song, I Love This Bar. And he sang about all the people that would come into this, into this bar um, you know, hitchhikers and bikers and fighters and lovers and uh, truckers and cowboys and just on and on, all these characters that would come in, a, a veteran that would tell of his battle scars. And the crescendo moment in the chorus was, I love this bar. Every time I walk into this place, a smile is on my face. I love this bar. It's not far. Come as you are. I love this bar. What does a bar what is it that draws you to a bar? What is it in us that uh, no matter what genre of music that you like, what is it about these songs that point us to a place where we can just come and do that very thing, just come as you are? Because doesn't it feel good to come as you are? Doesn't it feel terrible when you got to put on pretense, when you got to pretend? It's just, it is, of course, by definition, inauthentic, but experientially, it's just, it brings, it just sucks the life out of you when you're somewhere 
and you're, you're not who you are. Now, let's, let's hit the pause for a second. Every time we come into church, honestly, for me, and, I, and I'm the preacher, so I can only imagine about y'all, but we start singing these songs, and first, first words out of my mouth, I feel like I'm lying sometimes. And that is, hear me, that's okay because we're singing the facts of God's word, and sometimes our feelings aren't there. Sometimes our faith needs to be strengthened. It's the very singing of the songs that get us through what's hard to push us through our doubts and to orient us to be open to believing in the work that God can do in us. So we're not looking at perfection here, but we are saying, hey, can we stay away from phoniness and fakeness? Do we need to be like a fancy lobby, a a lobby at a fancy hotel or next to a a car dealer um, at a a new car showroom? Does church need to look like that? Or do, do we need to have a little bit of that bar feeling of we can, we can come as we are. Years ago in 2011, I preached a sermon. I had um, taken this from a pastor friend of mine. You've heard me say it before. I don't know who to give credit to anymore, but he talked about uh, qualities of a church, the people that we want to be. I preached this in 2011 at a preview service in Dueling Hall when our church had not even really gotten started. This week, Austin Moore, some of you know him, sent me a text with his sermon notes. So some of y'all do pay attention. But uh, here's what we said, and we've repeated it a few times. We want to be a place where everybody's welcome, nobody is perfect, and anything is possible. And what should be different about us than at a bar, what should be different about us is we're risking with each other. We're actually risking a life of faith We're risking a life of faith and we're saying that with God, all things are possible. And so we're hearing you where you are. We're being heard where we are, but we're saying you don't have to stay there and you can cling to promises of God. He can work in the midst of this. And so the first thing we're saying about love should from Romans 12 is love should be free from hypocrisy. The second thing we want to say is that love should be rooted in truth. Notice in Romans 12, now if you break this up, you don't have to go to seminary to do this stuff. You can just have a good study outline Bible. But in Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 13, what we've read, uh, 14, it it talks about love for friends. And, And 14 or 15 through 21 is love for enemies. And both are really important. Both are really needed. Both will determine the quality of your life, the future of the church. We need to love friends and we need to love enemies. But love should be rooted in truth. I don't know where you were Y2K-ish, but Susan and I had one child at the time, a little fella, and we were moving from the East Coast to the West Coast, and we moved into a community. um, Honestly, hear the whole story. We moved into this wealthy enclave called Rancho Santa Fe. It it was way out of our zip code level, trust me. But we had friends, Bob and Iris Allen, that let us live in their house their guest house they traveled to Europe a lot had a big home we had a mutual friend like hey stay with us and take your time and blah 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 so we were there and I noticed early on that in the midst of this it was on a golf course and a lot of land mountains out back and I noticed they had uh, cameras all around the house and one night in particular I remember noticing coyotes uh, several coyotes on the camera and it was interesting when I saw those coyotes Susan panted a little bit and I said baby I got this I got this. This is time for me to be a man. I got this. I got the coyotes. And we were warned, actually, to be careful with pets and small children when it comes to the coyotes, to stay in the house, to stay on the deck, to be, to be with the kids. And here's what I've learned about coyotes. They don't come in your house. Uh, they don't come usually on the deck. Uh, they don't come up too much in the yard. 
But they come up and with pets in particular, what do they do? They, they want that pet, that small dog, to get comfortable with them, to be intrigued by them, to look at them and think this could be good, this could be fun, this is playful. What do they do? They're like, come on, yeah, come on, come on. So they don't go in the house and get them. That's a place of safety, but they lure them out and then they snatch them and it's, it's over. And sin is like that for us. And look, I like to have fun, and I like to tell jokes, and I like to mix it up and everything. But man, we live in a world where there's evil, and there is sin, and there is enticement, and we get drawn away, and evil is that way. And it is not love. What are we talking about love should? It is not love to let someone wander from the truth. It is not love to let someone be enticed into sin. It is not. Now, here's why we don't confront. We don't confront because... Uh, we think we, we do it under the guise of, well, we love them and we want them to feel warm and feel good and we'll let God take care of them, but we, we don't want to confront. And what we really love is ourselves. What we really love is we love being loved and we don't want to risk it, which is not really love. Because too many times in the name of Christianity, Diedrich Bonhoeffer, the German pastor in Nazi Germany in the 30s, talks about this very thing, that Christian love is not looking past sin. It's actually addressing it. It's having it, having it addressed in our lives and then lovingly addressing it in other people's lives. James chapter 5, we wonder from the foe, what do you do? You woo them back. Galatians chapter 6, when you see someone caught in sin, a brother or sister in Christ, we're talking about family of God. We're not talking about judging the world. There's no place in here about judging the outside world. Ease up with that. We're talking about brothers and sisters in Christ. And we're going to get into 1 Corinthians uh, starting next week, and it talks about that very thing. There's no place to judge the outside world. We're talking about brothers and sisters. If someone's been caught in a sin, you have the relationship with them, the most unloving thing you can do is not address it. And you're more concerned about your personal comfort and the love you receive than their ultimate good. Love should be free from hypocrisy. We can get an amen there. But love should be rooted in the truth, the truth of God. What does the truth of God say? There is a way that seems right to a man. But in the end, it is death. Jeremiah 17, your heart is deceitfully wicked above all else. And when you start following your heart, when you start thinking this is the right way, listen, you need it and so do I. I wouldn't be vulnerable enough. I don't know that you'd be safe enough for me to tell you sometimes where I have wandered into sin and a brother in Christ has called me back. And I, I remember one time a guy sent me a message and he said, hey man, here's what I've seen in your life. And he said, I didn't want to send you this because I want you to like me and I want people to like me. He risked something by confronting me, but he saw something and he saw a crack. And let me tell you, God used that. He used that in my life. Don't you want to know what it is? I'll never tell you. Um, third thing, love should. Y'all aren't safe. Love should feel like a family. Can I get an amen? Unless you come from a jacked up family. Here's what I want to ask you. Some of us are from jacked up families. So I want you to see this part of Romans 12 through the lens of a good family through the lens of a family that loves and cares for each other. And he's saying love each other, uh, use brotherly love. The, the Greek word here, it's a compound word. I bet some of you have seen the first part of this. Uh, we'll show it on the screen there coming up. Um, 
here's the overall arching word. It's, it's two components to it. The first part means to love between brothers. And the second part of that is affection. Is that this is a family that cares for each other. This is a family that's not afraid to hug and hold hands and be close to each other. It's a good thing to do that. What does a family do? A healthy family is there for each other. When, when siblings fight and there's a rivalry and there's an impasse and a stalemate and you don't know what to do, what, what do brothers and sisters do in a good family? They work it out. When parents are aging and losing it mentally and physically, you don't push them over a cliff. You, you love those parents. And you, I'm seeing people my age, you move your parents in. And the whole thing is reversed because you're a family and you love and you care for them. That's what families do. When, when, a, when a child is insubordinate, you don't call them in like an employee and fire them and say, hey, security's going to walk you out with your computer and personal belongings. You don't do that because it's not in a workplace. It's a family. There's something different about a family. And families really do stay with each other. In a family, in a healthy family, you come to the dinner table not because of what the meal is, not because of the menu. You come because you're a family. And that's what families do. And here in Romans 12, we're saying that love should feel like a family. We should embrace each other with affection and with love. Let me ask you, let me ask you to ask yourself a question. Is your current commitment to the local church, is it more, well, I mean, what is it like? Is it more like intramural soccer where it's like once a week, it's just one night a week, we've got to pay a little bit of money, we barely have to go, and then it's over. Is that your commitment to God's family? Or is it like me and The Voice on NBC, I'll sit down with Susan when The Voice starts a new season, I'm like, yeah. And then I start picking favorites. And so it's a gospel singer singing in church. Now they're crushing it. I'm like, I can't wait to see this singer and this singer. And then three, four weeks later, I'm like, we got a meeting at the church. Forget about it. You know, I don't even, is that your commitment? Or is it like one of those streaming services where you sign up and you give, you give them like, you know, uh, you get the trial membership for a couple of weeks and you give them like eight different emails so you don't have to make any financial commitment. You get a little bit out of it and then you're pieced out with no obligation. Is that your commitment to God's family? Are you brother and sister in Christ? Are you saying, hey, we have, we have a God. There's one Lord and one faith and one baptism and we're a family and man, I'm gonna sign up and I'm gonna show up and I'm gonna be devoted to this. The fourth thing that love should, love should perceive the worth of every person. He says here to honor one another. And that means um, to honor everybody, to honor every life. What if they're different than me? What if they're zealous about this? Remember when Jesus called the 12 to him, Peter, James, and John, he got really close to Judas would ultimately betray him. And you had some lesser named people and, 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 and you had Matthew, the tax collector, and Simon, the zealot, and Coach Prime, Deion Sanders, put up a clip this week that was hilarious from Boulder, Colorado, about the disciples. They did a roll call, and they sang and danced, kind of their characteristics from the Scripture. It was really beautiful. But, like, Jesus takes Matthew, the tax collector, and Simon, the zealot. And you know what a zealot is? They hated the Roman government. They were committed to the law of Israel and all things Israel. They hated the Roman government and because they were the oppressors. And the only people they hated more than the Roman government were the tax collectors. And Jesus is like, Matthew the tax collector and Simon the zealot, come with me. You're going to be brothers and sisters. And so when we talk about life together and being with one another, we're talking about doing everything we can 
to be with people who aren't naturally like us at times, who are different than us, and we let Jesus be what we have in common. And for the early church, they got this right. They were compelling. How have you, I preached this one Easter, but how in the world could 12 guys who were mostly poor people, who were mostly migrants, who were outliers, how could 12 people take this message? This whole nation was looking for a conquering king, but to take this message of love and sacrifice in the midst of persecution in the Roman Empire that could crush them, how could this grow to be what it is today? Well, they got this right. They perceived the worth of every single person, every person. And what they got right was infant life that wasn't wanted, that was discarded. They said, no, life matters. It matters to the immigrant. It matters to the orphan. It matters uh, today, I would say to you, it matters to the unborn. This is why abortion is wrong. To that little girl that's in the womb, to those parents that don't want her, she has value in life in God's eyes. To the immigrant, this whole book, you can't find people that were cushy and comfortable sitting in plush environments. There are rich people in the Bible. There's nothing wrong with being rich. But this was written time and time again, old and new, and people who didn't have homes, who were exiled, who were in the midst of persecution. And God is saying those lives matter, and we need to do our best to pull people in. Tim Tebow, Timmy Tebow, when he was 15 years old, went with his family and his church to an orphanage far, far away, an orphanage that had never ever received this is how remote it was they had never received outside visitors and there was a little boy there with feet both feet were born backwards he was born both feet were turned backwards at his birth no real doctors in this village never received outsiders and the primitive nature of their thinking with this little boy all were somewhat left alone or cast aside they thought he had been born accursed and timmy tebow t- says his life was changed when he held this little guy And what he was seeing in the eyes and later the hearts of these villagers is that God's love broke in. And this wasn't a a life that was cursed. This is a life that should be loved. And you have probably seen this ministry light up the night. Even people that are skeptical towards faith and God have been moved to tears when they see these banquet halls reserved for students for people, young people that have physical and mental, mostly mental handicaps. And they're, uh, they're given tuxedos and they dress up and uh, they come in limousines, many of them. And there's parents and teachers and students and staff who applaud them and just to see these faces light up because they've been left out. And it's very much what Jesus talked about in Luke 14 when you throw a party. A lot of hyperbole here, but when you throw a party, don't invite friends and you know, neighbors and people that can do stuff for you, rich friends, and invite people that can never pay you back. And true love, love should, listen to me, church, love should honor every life. Love should honor the person who disagrees with anything I just preached right now. Love should honor every single life. Every life matters. Let's think about that as we think about life together. How can we bring joy to the faces of those who've been lost and forgotten the fifth thing that i want to say is love should overflow with the optimism of god's promises william carey got it right long ago when he said the future is as bright as the promises of god what i know is there is a pain in every pew what i know is and i walk the same road that you walk it's a fallen world We walk by faith, not by sight. I've done a few funerals recently, and it brings me great joy 
and I'm a little bit jealous, but they're walking by sight. One day I'm going to walk by sight. You and I right now, we got to walk by faith. And it's not always easy, but God gives us these promises. Which ones do you need today? Which ones have you clung to? I'm thinking about this. We may never do it. It may be a bad idea. Let me hear from you if you've got an idea, yay or nay. But I'm thinking about one Sunday not preaching, just putting a microphone right here and have an open mic day where you're able to come up and you're able to tell, share about a promise that you've been clinging to, a promise that you've seen God meet in your life because y'all can preach. Y'all got some sermons that you can preach in this. You've seen God's faithfulness. What promise do you need to cling to? Never, ever once do we stand here and never will we stand here and act like you and I don't have problems. In fact, what did Jesus say, John 16? In this world, you will have trouble. It's a, that is a promise. But all these promises, hear me now, these promises supersede any of your problems. And in the darkest moments, that may seem hard to believe. You may resist that. You may be embittered toward me saying that. But it's true, and the future is as bright as the promises of God. Maybe you need 1 Corinthians 15, 57, and 58. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Maybe you need that promise from the great prophet Isaiah who talked about, do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord our God is an everlasting God. He's created the ends of the earth and he does not grow weary ever, not once does he grow weary. His understanding is, is it cannot be fathomed. Young men stumble and fall and youth grow tired and weary. But those who wait on the Lord, those who rest in him, those who hope in him, They will be renewed in their strength. They will soar with wings like eagles. They will run and not faint. They will walk and not be weary. Maybe that's the promise that you need today. Maybe the promise is from the psalmist, the 27th chapter, the 13th verse. Uh, I am confident of this. I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. What promise do you need today? It is, and we are at our best, and it's hardest when we are called to what does, what does it say in Romans 12? We're called to, to, to rejoice in hope, to be patient in affliction, to persist in prayer. That's not the easy stuff of life. Folks, that's the gritty stuff of life. And I wouldn't want anyone to try to do that on your own. And that's when we lock arms and listen, I can't tell you how many times, man, I have gotten through because somebody helped me cling to the promises of God. And we're all, look, look at me, we're all in this together. And we need that in each other. And we need to be a people to say, don't give up. Don't grow weary in doing good. Let me tell you what God said. Look, I had a friend in my office in a, in a group, in a small group Friday. Like He's been broken into and robbed his store. Like He told us of his experience. We let him have the floor for a few minutes. I wasn't about to say, eh, God will provide. It just wasn't the time. Because Romans 12, we didn't you know, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. It's the time to listen to his pain and authenticate his pain. Because that sucks. And so we listen to him, but ultimately we know that we want to be a community to say, hey, brother, don't give up and hang in there. Because at the end of this passage, we're not going to get to it, but at the end of this passage, it says, do not be overcome with evil. And the only way to do that, he says, is to overcome evil with good. So we got to call that out in him. So the sixth thing, is that where we are? Love should be demonstrated in our actions. He uses two phrases here, and they are distinct, and I think they're sequential. You may want to push back on this if you're smarter than me theologically. I welcome my green light that. I'd love to hear from you. Um, Love should be demonstrated in our actions. He says to uh, meet the needs 
of the saints, to share with saints in need. And then he says to practice hospitality. My interpretation of that is that we need to make sure we're caring for the family of God. So if you're in the family, we want to know that you're in the family. We want to know if this is your church. If you're just visiting, hey, we're, we're, we're glad you're here. If you're a seeker or unsure, man, we're, we're so glad that you're here. There's no lines of delineation. You're not going to be called out. If you need anonymity, man, we're not going to rush anything for you. But we want to call you into Christian community. We want to say to you, are, are we your family? And there's, there's hardly a greater joy. In fact, it's fuel that keeps me going is to see you guys caring for each other. And, you know, we do things. Uh, this week I called in the office. I was up in Madison. I called in and said, hey, you know, so-and-so lost a loved one. Let's send them a plant and a card and say Robert and Susan Green and FC. And they got their card yesterday and their little plant. And they sent us a text and said, we, we love you and we love our church family. You know what meant more to us is not the card and the plant they got uh, that we sent and got a little bit of credit for but as a group, they're in community, they're out of rows and into circles, and that group is loving on them. That group saw them because I'm not going to see everything. You're not going to see everything with everybody in the room. You barely see people. There was a bunch of people at the 930, sir. You didn't see them. But you need to be in a circle with people that you can see needs, and then we meet needs. And listen, the world's not going to be drawn to us if needs are going unmet here. And can I just say something? Leaders aren't mind readers. That's not in the Bible, but it should be. Leaders aren't mind readers. So we got to know. We got to know if this is your church family. We're not going to rush anything with you. We're not going to coerce anything with you. But if we're your church, we want to know. But we can't read your mind. You've got to let us know when there's a need. And I would say this. This is a daring statement. But you let us know a need and watch what happens. And if I'm wrong, because we ain't perfect, then you let us know. But I'm just seeing it time and time again. So Fondren Church, to the leaders, I want to say thank you all for loving everybody. Well, it's too big of a weight for us. And we don't always get it right, but what motivates us to keep loving and serving and preaching and teaching is you guys loving each other well. Here's what a Roman emperor said. I think it's time. I'm getting emotional. It's time for a Roman emperor quote. Here's what Julian said. He, he hated Christians. Like he hated Christians. The Christian cause, now he called them Galileans. The Christian cause has been specially advanced through the loving service rendered to strangers. That's hospitality. It's a scandal that there's not a single one who's a beggar. And that the Galileans, Christians, care not only for their own poor, but ours as well. While those who belong to us look in vain for the help that we should render them. Some of you are deconstructing your faith. Some of you are unsure of the fruits of Christianity. Listen to me. Keep thinking. Keep an open mind. It's an imperfect world. And the church is broken and fallen, but the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But I would encourage you, if you're not seeing the fruit that you need to see, send me an email and let me send you some facts about the church in America today. Let me send you some facts about it, uh, being the, the by far nothing is close than the household of God when it comes to generosity and meeting the needs of poor and caring for people. Like it, there's, there's a element of love that's being in, unleashed. And yes, it can be better. And yes, we shouldn't ignore abuse and things that are, are, are wrong. I would be the last one to say that. But man, there is so much fruit of Christianity. We need to do a better job of telling the story and we need to be a part of the story. And some of you are really close to being overcome. I guess I am gonna preach it. You're being very close to being overcome with evil. And I'm saying, don't do it. And let's overcome evil with good and let's be a force for it so Lauren and you and the team come up and my time is limited I want to uh, close with this I want to 
push you back. If your Bible is open, uh, then you're in good shape. If not, you've got to trust me. But in Romans chapter 12, he starts off with a therefore. And really, honestly, it goes back to the first 11 chapters. And he says, therefore, he's taught all this. He says, okay, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, a Jewish audience would understand that. A, a, a sacrifice, they, like they offered sacrifices. And sacrifices were always what? Dead animals. All right, some of you just came from hunting camp, so you're with me here. But you, you put a, it's a dead, you just put the sacrifice. But he said, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. A dead animal can never get off the altar. But you and I, we climb off that every day. Every day we offer our lives as a living sacrifice. And the two words there, conform and transform. Conform means to be squeezed into a mold, forced into a mold. Transform means to be made new. And some of you are tired. And church for you has never really been a family of God. It's been just something that kept you busy and wore you out. There's two kinds of change here. Barring from the world of physics, God created it all. But one type of change is mechanical change. A mechanical change is, it's, it's change from the outside. Think about, a, think about a caterpillar turning into a butterfly. I am not a butterfly expert. Everything I learned was from the book, children's book, The Very Hungry Caterpillar. But in this scientific treatise, we learn in the very hungry caterpillar that a caterpillar will get into this cocoon. It'll release enzymes and it forms this uh, substance around us and then it changes. Its molecular structure begins to change as it releases things and, and it, it, it forms into like basically, a, it has like this soupy existence. And then the soupy existence, as it releases more things, it starts to harden and clumps of new cells are formed. This is all in that kid's book. And it, and it forms and then all of a sudden, this caterpillar it becomes a new creature new creature and it's got like antenna which is cool and wings and eyes and all the other stuff and then it starts nibbling a hole in that cocoon and then it busts through and it's got a whole new nature and mechanical change is when you and I, I mean, it'd be like clipping wings on a caterpillar all right flap 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 fly 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 that ain't gonna work it's not going to work if you don't let God change your heart. None of this really matters. And you're just going to be attaching Christian activity, church going, jump in a group, sign up, barely show up. Never, you never give God your heart. You never explore what it means to be transformed. But the second kind of change is not mechanical. It's organic. And organic is when you change and your desires change. And so you change. And that's the only, people study this thousands of years. That's the only change that lasts. And uh, that's straight from Jesus. Let him change your heart. So stand with me as we close. Love should be free from hypocrisy. Love should be rooted in truth. Love should feel like a family. Love should perceive the worth of every life. Love should overflow with the promises of God. And love should meet the needs of other people. Love should be demonstrated in our actions. What part can you play of being in the family we're asking 2023 we're asking it to be the year that we share life together how about you father thanks for this day work in your people in jesus we pray amen friends altars open down front can we pray with you today would you want to kneel 
and pray today. Would you uh, want to be embraced for something in your life? Uh, you say, preacher, what if they? What if I walk forward? Someone, some of my friends think I'm needy. Look, we're all needy, and your neediness could just be a testimony to somebody else who's also needy. I'm needy. We all are. Let's give God these few minutes before we go. You come today.